Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with Cribs. Before we get into our next guest, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for an investment property, looking for the next high growth market and want to know how to secure that good quality asset, you need to talk to me and the team. We are looking across the whole Australian Eastern Seaboard, only work with the best developers in the industry, can help you secure that asset, do the cash flows, have a good understanding about where you're going to find that growth. So ultimately, secure that investment and keep on building that fantastic portfolio to achieve the long-term dreams. Reach out to the team, have a chat to me, and let's get into this next show. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Cribs. Today, we are very lucky to have the infamous Stephanie Polito from Oxford. Um, look, I've known Stefan for quite a while now. We did a lot of business together a few years ago, five years ago. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been a massive fan of his just because of the work that he does in the backgrounds that are not a lot of you see, but definitely experience. So, Stefan, mate, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Mate, um, I, I don't want to jump straight into the hard questions. I would like you to just talk a little bit about yourself, yep. where you've come from. I know a lot about your background. I think it's a fascinating story and- more people should hear about it, you know? Thanks, Dom. Well, um, I've been doing what I love for about 18 years now. So I started off as a commercial real estate agent back in 99. And um, early on, I realized that having grown up in a retail family of fashion designers and rag traders, I wanted to get into retail. So I spent most of my early childhood in shopping centers and on the high streets. And naturally, that's sort of where I ended up. So I was fortunate enough in 2000 to get a job in Double Bay, uh, working for a great developer slash agent who has done some of the probably Sydney's flagship developments and he sort of gave me a start when no one would and from there basically 10 years ago 11 years ago I built I started Oxford with a partner and we've been doing retail developments ever since and I hope you don't mind me telling the story a little bit because it is yours but you went into a smaller agency that was predominantly residential and then you brought your energy and passion for commercial and retail and helped grow that business in ways I didn't think that they could yeah, so I suppose <clears throat> when I left uh, my previous company, they thought I was mad going to join this old resi business. But I suppose my view was properties are very much a people business and I backed myself to the guys that I was working with was good guys. So I went there and um, from there we were basically fortunate that Surrey Hills, which where the office was located, was going through a you know, reinvigoration and by just being in that area, we made some amazing contacts and literally we built the business from having one staff member myself in a 10 square meter office to now employing over 22 people and doing projects all over Sydney. So that's impressive. It's been a enjoyable ride. Yeah, I can imagine. Stressful. Stressful. But you haven't got many gray hairs there. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. They're coming. Um, okay. Well, man, let me, let me talk a little bit about the commercial retail because that's the reason why we got you in today. I want to chat about placemaking. I want to chat about some of the work that you're doing and how important it is and people don't realize how important it is. So can we um, chat about what makes or how does the recal component change mixed-use developments? Yeah. Look, I think during the resi boom, no one paid attention to retail. There was no need to. You know, all these developers were making sales. You know, there was no emphasis on what the ground floor plane had to be or could be. And generally, we'd get calls in and say, hey, look, we've sold all the apartments. I've got these retail spaces. They know what to do with it. Can you just lease them? And I was like, okay, well, look, yeah, we can lease them, but, you know, 
is there a strategy or how do you want to lease it? Have you got services? You know, you're gonna, do you want restaurants? Do you want showrooms? And they're like, well, don't know, don't care. So there really was no emphasis on, on retail. So we'd go in there and we'd, we'd lease up shops and we'd get it done and then they'd on sell those retail stratums and the project would finish. What we saw a shift probably about five years ago was there was more emphasis put on the actual retail component because what they realised was with a lot more competition in the market with competing resi projects, you needed a point of difference. And that point of difference was what's, what's, what's your ground floor look like? So em- an empty nester coming out of you know, a home in the suburbs was downsized into an apartment for a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. So what they wanted downstairs was you know, wine bars, restaurants, cafes, etc. So all of a sudden when developers were promoting spaces, it was about come to this development because at your doorstep you're going to have all this great amenity. So then early on we started working with developers about creating a mix and a strategy and, you know, other spaces fit for purpose. So can we actually get a restaurant in there? Mm. And if we are, want a restaurant, what services do we need to put in there? Like what are we going to do to get the actual operator that we want? So basically it was just now a case where we would probably spend six to 12 months before launching about handpicking what we saw the end ground plane being. Okay, that's interesting. So it started off as really a reactive move. We've got a little bit of retail commercial. Stefan, can you fix this and go and lease it out and then we'll sell it later, whatever. So now it's way more of a visionary step because you're saying people are buying the development for the lifestyle and what um, the area brings and you're trying to put that inside the development so that you can create a full um, placemaking, so you can create an aesthetic or a feeling and and a lifestyle. Um, How do you see good or bad retail affecting developments over that longer curve? Do you see that there's a – for instance, if you know that you've got a development and you've leased it all out to, you know, top-class restaurants or whatever – does that have a, a serious effect on the resi component or on the rest of the development? Yeah. Well, look, I, I use this analogy a lot when I look at – if you look at placemaking and really about creating a place where people want to be, I always refer people to Potts Point. So when you look at Maclay Street, you've got a lot of mixed-use development, old mixed-use development, so buildings that have been around for 80 years, 100 years with new developments. If you look at Maclay Street, from a planning point of view, that's probably the best suburb in Australia, I think. So you've got restaurants, you've got bookstores, you've got lifestyle stores – and really, if you look at Potts Point, it's the most densely populated postcode in Australia, extremely popular, resi prices through the roof. And I attribute that because it's a neighbourhood that people want to be in. Mm. So you can go downstairs, there's amazing places to eat, there's some fine diners, there's casual eateries, there's bakeries, and that's what a suburb and a neighbourhood is. And I think people these days want to be part of a community and in a neighbourhood that offers choices. Yeah, a real sense of community. Yeah, so you walk down the street, you go to your local baker, you get your bread, you get your coffee, you know, you meet up with friends. And that, to me, is the best case of placemaking in a neighbourhood. So you, And that was done organically. So, so there was not one developer that came along and master-planned all of Potts Point. It was just kind of accidentally done. It accidentally got done. And you look at that suburb now and the rate per square metre and what's happened to the to the sale rates, it's gone through the roof. Now, I don't think the rates have gone through the roof because of the resi. It's because of the actual neighbourhood and what's on offer in that neighbourhood. I see. So it sounds like for you, because it's almost like heritage, it's kind of in your blood, that you really are thoughtful and considerate about how 
you can create a sense of space and what kind of eateries and you went through the different types of eateries. I didn't recognize there were so many. Yeah. Normally say restaurant or cafe, but um, you went to casual dining and, you know, more formal dining. When you're um, putting together these spaces, are you giving it that much thought? Are you thinking this is the type of um, cafes, restaurants, bars that I want in a space? Let's, let's use an example, uh, Precinct 75 yep. or um, the tram sheds. I know that there's many, many more that yeah. you've done, but you can probably go point to more. Even um, Surrey Hills are uh, the winery. Can you give us run you run us through sort of your process and and what you're thinking when you're trying to put these spaces together? Okay, so if we look at Precinct Seventy Five, I know obviously you're familiar with the project. Yeah, it was an old Torbent contaminated paint factory. Yeah, I remember. And couldn't be sold. No one wanted to buy it. Two guys rocked up and said, "You know what? Actually, like it. It looks good. It feels good." Yeah, there's contamination, but we can deal with that. So then they came to us and said, look, how do we get this thing leased? And I was like, well, you know, it's an old working industrial factory. Why don't we just take a piece-by-piece approach? Let's get a couple of good operators and use, use the groups in. And generally, it'll feed off itself. So we did Willie the Boatman, which was a microbrewery, mm. who's basically an advocate. So everyone we put into that development became an advocate for Precinct 75. So Willie the Boatman came in, we had a microbrewery. Obviously, microbrewery craft beer was on the up yep. and we rode that wave. We got lucky there. And then obviously we thought, okay, well, we need coffee in the project. We don't want a cafe because, you know, you can go up to Newtown, there's 100 cafes. So we went and got a roaster, sample coffee, who roasts out of there. So we turned this industrial precinct into a vibrant enterprise business where people were coming in, artisans were coming in, rents were cheap, a lick of paint, we'd paint the floors, we'd make it look okay – but people loved it. And all of a sudden, the spaces just let themselves because people were saying, hey, I've got to make, come to Precinct 75. There's cool spaces. The rents are affordable. And literally, each space just let itself. So we did the, the original upfront work we put in because we had a, with the developers, we had a vision of what we wanted the space to be mm. and what, what it could be. And literally, we, we stuck to what was true. If we had a use come in that we didn't think was suitable, we basically wouldn't do the deal. So, so it was important saying no. Yeah. So they would say, which is frustrating from a leasing agent because most agents are obviously deal-driven. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not deal-driven, but it was like, hey, we've got a tenant. And they're like, well, that tenant's not in keeping with what we're thinking. So they'd say no to five deals. So basically we'd put up eight deals and they'd say yes to one. And it had to be in keeping with what the original vision, which is what they set out to be. Well, you hit, a, you hit something there because for all of you that haven't been to Precinct 75, you have to go there. It's, it is an experience. It's, it's, it's off a back street. It's not on a main road or thoroughfare. It's a cool old sawtooth red brick. It feels like Hogwarts in many yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to think that you could have a vibrant – because it is kind of pokey in bits, yep. but that adds so much character it's to like it. like a go-kart track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nuts. But when you get in there, it really does feel like it's an artisan's and a sense of, it's a sense of discovery. Yeah, that's exactly People right. People walk in there and you walk around the corner and you go, hey, shit, look, I've just found this cool store selling knickknacks. Or, but also what – I suppose I'm very fortunate I get to travel a lot. So I just got back from a trip from Brooklyn. So as soon as I got back, it was like two months later I get this call, hey, can you come and you – know, you've done something in Surrey Hills, can you come and look? And I was like, shit, St. Peter's. What's in St. Peter's? Yeah. Like, it was like I didn't want to go out there, but I was like, you know what, no, I'll go out there and I'll – I'll check it out. Yeah. When I was out there, I was mesmerised. I was like, mate, this thing is just like an untapped. We can really create something here. And to be honest, if you speak to Inner West Council, 
they look at Precinct 75 as a great example of adaptive reuse and what you can do to these old buildings without spending a lot of money. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of people think you've got to spend a lot of money to get results. Sometimes you don't have to. you just got to use – obviously, if you're blessed to have good fabric, good DNA, and you're in the right area – the developers some. that took the site are engineers and they know what they're doing. They're smart men as well. They're smart. They are smart. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's a longer-term play there, but I think the success of that will only get better and better. Absolutely agree. So when when you are trying to create these, these spaces, obviously, you know, you took it one step at a time with, with that space there. You said we're going to open up one, we'll do another one, and then it was kind of a sense of momentum that came as a result of the previous tenants. For developers that are creating 5, 10, 15 year projects, larger scale stuff like Green Square and um, Key Quarter, you're doing Key yep. Quarter as well. How do you kind of start, how do you put together that? Because okay. tenancies today are not going to be the tenancies of the future. Right. So, with, so with, with Green Square, it's one of the largest urban developments in Australia. And you know, Mervac and Lancom, which is a joint venture between government and a public listed developer, Basically, they have a, a long 15-year plan there on what Green Square should be. There's a lot of public realm spaces. We've got mixed-use retail and we've got a lot of resi. Now, 97% of the, of the revenue is going to come from the resi. However, when you've got stage two, stage three, stage four to sell, people are only going to buy into that community or that neighbourhood if they like, again, what's on the ground plane. Mm. So I've been, again, blessed to have a, a client that has said, look, forgo rent, forgo incentives – we just got a, a clear retail vision that we want and we need to get it. Now, we know it's going to be challenging for the operator on day one because you'll be next to a construction zone, but we're not in the business of just putting anyone in, convenience stores, barber shops, just to get it leased. We'd rather keep them empty and use them as community spaces or pop-up spaces or whatever it is, but until we nail the right mix. Mm. So that project, I've been on that project for seven years now. That's how long it's gone back. And wow, we're, and we're now literally leasing stage two. So we did the first. We put the supermarket in. We put in, uh, you know, some takeaway stores. We've got some showroom space. But it's all that's seven years of work, seven years of working with the owner and the developer, etc., to come up with a retail scorecard. Mm. So literally, what the view is is that, hey, Steph, when I bring a tenant, they'll say refer to the scorecard and say, does it is it in keeping with the vision? Mm. Now, the other thing that I always use the analogy I use in my staff is like. You can have a pizza operator, right? So you can have – I always use a piece, a photo of a pizza. So you get a Domino's pizza and you go get like an artisan Italian pizza. Yeah. It's the same product but very different. Absolutely. So when it comes to retail leasing, you can't just say you want a, a pizza restaurant. Here, we've got Dom- – like you've got to stay true to what you believe in and that's why we set up these retail scorecards because we want to make sure that – a, it's a check, sanity check for us and obviously my team that when we put a deal up that we generally hand on heart believe it's the right thing for the development. So let me ask you about that then because I imagine when you're putting together these retail spaces and the commercial spaces, it's not as simple as putting an ad up. You know, we're 50 square metres, 60 it, square metres and then all these people come in and you go and find and fill the space. Um, are you more targeted in your approach? Because I've seen... I follow you on Instagram. For all of you following uh, Stefan on Instagram, um, but you go to all the best restaurants and cafes, and you seem to know a lot of operators, and you do a lot of groundwork. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about that process, yeah. trying to find operators, or how does that work? Yeah. So, I suppose 
again, we're blessed because we're, we're in Surrey Hills. When Surrey Hills wasn't popular, that a lot of these guys came to us 10 years ago and said, hey, so Ben and Elvis from Potenio, <laughs> LP Meats, those guys who are probably one of the best chefs in the country, mm. started off, everyone starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they started off in a 50 square metre shop on Commonwealth Street in the gritty part of Surrey Hills. We leased that to them. Yeah. Again, so having these relationships, you know, when a developer says, hey, Steph, we need your help, we can say, okay, well, look, these are the guys we know. We know this guy will take that shop. We know that you're definitely not going to get that guy. Mm. So in our head, we already plan. We have a hit list. We have a hit list of, say, 10 names per shop. So we'll say to them, okay, this is who we th- – this is – who's your target market? Who have you sold the apartments to? Yeah. What's their demographic? Yeah. Are they investors? Are they, you know, millennials? Downsizers, because, yeah. Again, there's no point – yeah, and a lot of developers used to come to say, we want a fine dining precinct. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, who's your target market? Yeah. And they go, oh, we sold these to overseas students. It's like, well, those guys aren't going to feed your retail. So yeah. you've got to make sure that the mix reflects your target market. So now everyone thinks, oh, but I don't want, I don't want, you know, casual eateries. Well, it's like, no, no, hang on. I'm not saying I'm going to give you cheap shit eateries. I'm going to say I'm going to give you a product that's in keeping with your target market that's still smashing out of the ballpark, but it's suited to the project and the demographic. So there's a science behind not just putting you know, if it depends on where you are, will depend on how you shape your retail mix. Well, it makes a lot of sense because if you have, you can have the best restaurants in the world, but if no one's eating there, guess what? It's going to die. They're going to go broke. They're going to go broke. So it's not you're not doing anyone a service. Yeah. And if you have a look at the work that you've done, tram sheds is different to the Supreme Seventy Five, and then I imagine so, that's going to be very different again to Key Quarter. Yeah. Well, Key well Key Quarter is going to be probably in my. It's probably one of my. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a legacy project for me because we're going to be transforming two city blocks in Circular Quay into this amazing, you know, when I talk about neighbourhood, you've got 61,000 office workers, 4,000 hotel rooms in the area and 1,500 residents. So when you talk about a, a CBD neighbourhood, my view is that key quarter is going to be that neighbourhood. And again, so we've got to cater to the office worker. So that office worker, for instance, when I look at the retail plan and I'm looking at who am I going to put where – well, the, I know that an office worker will want to spend 12 bucks for lunch. Yeah. The guy that's bought the apartment for 4 million bucks, he wants to have dinner at a place he's going to go spend 75 bucks a head. Yeah. Now, if I'm working in that area, what do I need? I need some dry cleaners. I need services. So, again, it's not just about leasing every shop to a restaurant or is a, you know, a cookie-cutter approach. you really got to break down and know who your target audience is and who's above you. So who, who, who's going to use these spaces? And I've got to give them what they want. And, again, key quarter is no different to a resi project is, again, 95% of the revenue is coming from the office. But what's going to get that office anchor tenant is what's on the ground plane. Yeah. Because companies these days want to know, no different, we're, in, we're sitting in Chippendale, right? Yeah. Now, they know that people that want to come to Chippendale want cool space and they want amenity. And I can tell you there's within 50 metres from here, you've got the best barber shop and about five cool restaurants within a stone throw. Yeah. So you've got to, you know, again, that's what's going to attract, it's all those amenities that attract people to, to a building or to an apartment building. Yeah, that's exactly right, where they want to live because we all pay for convenience. That's right. You know, if I can walk down the road better, I don't want to jump in my car if I can avoid it. Um, this is a little bit off script, so excuse yep. me. But I want to ask you um, about one of your other projects. I believe you're working on the fish markets? Yeah, we are. Is that a secret? Uh, it's not a secret. So we've been on that project for about two and a half years now. 
And again, um, what attracted me to that project was you've got a working market in the heart of a, of a city. Before we jump into it, can you explain what's happening over there and and kind of some time scales and what, what you see for yeah. the site? <clears throat> so, look, the new fish market's slated to open in 2024. Yeah. Um, and what happened was obviously government are building a whole new facility and the architect on that project, 3XN, out of Copenhagen, um, is also the architect from Key Quarter. So we're, we're lucky that from that relationship we got referred and it's been, it's been an amazing project, challenging, because we're dealing with fishmongers and fish traders that people don't like change. It's a very tight-knit community over there. The tight-knit community, they don't, they're resistant to change, they're scared of change and everyone, look, no one likes change. Mm. But all of a sudden what's going to happen is in this current facility, you've got 3 million visitors a year going through in a crappy facility. Is that much different to today? Oh, in a crappy facility, so 3 million today yeah. and they need to upgrade the facilities so it's a bit more of an yeah. international stage. And, and what's happening, one in three tourists that come to Sydney yep. go to the fish market. When we look at the fish market, it's like at the moment there's a, there's a, you know, it's very reliant on an Asian tourist demographic and what happened there was the local customer stopped going to the fish markets because it wasn't authentic. So you look at the fish market, people love it, but it's very much a tourist destination. Mm. The view which government and all stakeholders have is that we want to get the locals back. So we want to keep the working market and to have a facility in the, literally built in the water where you'll have a working market, auction floor and a retail floor is going to be amazing. So the view there is we're going to, in 2024, that this market will be a state-of-the-art fish market mm. Plus we'll have amazing retail, so all the operators will still be there, but we're going to put another 6,000 square metres of F&B, so it'll become a real dining precinct. Food and beverage, everybody, just in case. Food and beverage, <laughs> sorry. Um, mate, that's incredible. So it's going to transform that whole area and make it a bit more of a walking precinct. Yeah, so it's so not it's just – It's all part of the Bay's precinct. So yeah. that whole part of Piedmont uh, right around the Bay is going Backwater to – Backwater Bay, all of it, yeah. yeah. So it's, amazing. it's going to be really good for Sydney. Is there anything else before we uh, – look – First and foremost, I want to say thank you very much for today. Thank really, you. really appreciate it. Um, but is there anything that you want to – are there any other projects or anything that you're working on currently that you want to shout out to or, you know, that you're particularly proud of or want to discuss before we jump off? Um, look, the main things I'm working on at the moment, obviously, is the fish markets and key quarter. So they're, they're literally – to keep your hands full. They're keeping me busy at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, look, I suppose if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And I think for me – you know, I love socialising, I love going out, I love eating. You know, I don't know if it's a European background, but for me when I, when I turn up to these projects, I actually get excited. I get excited about going, okay, this is challenging, it's going to be hard, mm. retail's tough, how are we going to fix this? What am I going to do here? Like the visionary yeah. comes and out. I, and again, like for me, like when I went to tram sheds, look, from a revenue point of view, it wasn't a big money earner. Like for me. Like, it was a lot of work. But what was good was I remember going there on the opening and seeing thousands of people with their kids and enjoying the space. And, you know, like my, my thing is I say, to my, I want to say, say to my kids one day, you know what, my dad was actually not bad at what he did. You know, mm. Create these spaces where people enjoy. And I think for me that's what excites me, that you can, you can create something. Legacy. And, well, yeah, and you see people in, and there's nothing like makes me feel good when I see people with their kids or family, with their dogs, hanging out in the space and having fun. Mm. And you think, you know what, I actually was a part of that. So it's good. And, like, to be honest, now with our business, we're pretty selective with who we work with too. So, like, if someone comes along and says, hey, I just want to lease it for the most amount of rent and I don't care what you do, well, I'm probably not the best guy for that. And I'll say, look, you know, I can refer to another person that would still do an amazing job, but for us we want to work with people that actually have a vision 
and have a legacy and go, you know what, we really care about what we're doing and we want to get a great outcome. So this is going to be a silly question. You're pretty busy, but you're open to more work? <laughs> I am open to more work. <laughs> good, good. It just has to be the right work. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, and with these projects, it's always a stage. So, you know, things happening now, you know, they come off and they things come on, they ramp up. So never be too busy. Yeah, I agree. Well, mate, again, thank you very much for today. It's very insightful. Um, Anyone that has any questions for Stefan, just please leave them in the comments. Let us know. Flick us a message. Um, I can give you all of Stefan's details as well as um, pass on all the questions. And, uh, mate, thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Dom. Catch you later. Cheers.